everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey everybody, it's Brian Nemhauser, uh, hawk blogger here in beautiful North Shore of uh, Oahu. Uh, my last night here, and I have no idea how well the internet or the video or audio is going to hold up, but uh, we're going to try this. So uh, with me to start our wonderful show is uh, Nathan Ernst. Welcome aboard, Nathan. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm here from, I think, still snowy uh, Bothell. A uh, little bit of white out there on the ground still. Something to welcome you back tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I have a history of missing the snow in Seattle. I had a trip to Japan for business a few years ago, and there was like a blizzard. You guys got like 10 inches or something. Like, I love the snow. So I, I, I'm a little disappointed it happened while we were away. I heard somewhere that this is like the seventh uh, white Christmas Seattle has gotten since they've been measuring it or recording it. So you missed out on a... Just a just a once in a lifetime Christmas type environment here. Don't worry about it. <laughs> That's okay. This was pretty special. I, I'll give you guys a little. I don't know. There's a little bit of sunset left, uh, but it's an amazing spot here. Um, fellow Hawks fan uh, who uh, runs this rental and and uh, has been a great host. So, um, yeah, my first time actually on the the North Shore. It's uh, it is super choppy out there like the the surfers have been having a great time but but my kids <laughs> are not are not they're not safely going into that play into that water uh but we found some good spots around here so it's been it's been a great great trip um a little different place to celebrate uh, the holidays for sure um so nathan um besides wishing you a, a merry christmas and and happy holidays uh uh i, I have to ask you i I found myself totally open to whatever the outcome was going to be heading into that Cowboys game this past weekend. And I think, if I remember right, we signed off last week and we said, we all, we all talked amongst ourselves for a few seconds and said, yeah, we didn't talk about the Cowboys game. And I think I said, they don't have a chance in hell. I think that's what I said. Uh, how did you feel about that game going into it, and and what was your reaction watching it? Uh, yeah, I think you said they don't have a chance in hell, and I said they're going to get demolished. <laughs> uh, which, you know, what a difference KJ Wright makes, I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. My silver lining from the Rams game was that, you know, I didn't have to care anymore. Uh, which, mm -hmm. you know, just just when I think I'm out, they, they pull you right back in. And, like, uh, it was... <sighs> I would honestly be a lot 
more excited and happier about this if they looked a little better. Um, they did not look like a team that was, you know, poised to make a playoff run if they happened to get, you know, the help they need. And so um, it was great. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm honestly really, I mean, obviously I'm really excited about the potential for playoffs and stuff. Um, it'd be really weird not to have them go to the playoffs this year, but I don't feel really any better about the team. Um, so it kind of feels like, you know, they're just setting up to go down to LA maybe in the playoffs and get killed by the Rams again, which I'd love to have the shot at the rematch, but I can't say that I think that it's going to go, you know, a lot better for them. You know, interesting. I, so, well, I'll, I'll walk you through my kind of uh, uh, arc, um, personal arc with that game. So, as I said, I didn't think they had a chance in hell. I, I thought looking at the numbers and looking at the way they played, that Dallas offense is super powerful when Zeke's in there. Uh, and I know, Nathan, maybe you and I will have a chance to get into this a little bit. You believe, and I know Ben Baldwin or, or whatever his true name is, uh, believes that running backs do not matter and that they have no value. But uh, I'm not quite on that train. We can okay. talk about the running game and stuff. I'm not quite on the running backs don't matter train. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll make that a Benism. Um, I know Ben's a fan of the show, so hopefully he's tuning in and, and uh, getting a smile out of this. But uh, when Ezekiel has played for the, the, the Cowboys, their offense has been stellar. Um, when he hasn't, it hasn't. Uh, there was a pretty stark contrast between the two. And there's other variations, you know, variables at play, but I think that's a pretty big impact. And um, – Look, I, I didn't expect Bobby Wagner to recover as well as he did. They were saying he was feeling as good as he's felt in like a month. Um, and that was kind of weird. Um, I guess I'm glad that happened. He certainly looked more spry. And then KJ Wright was great. And they were motivated. I mean, I think it's hard to say it about this team, but, you know, they've generally always been motivated. They didn't seem either talented enough or motivated enough in the Rams game, mm-hmm. um, which is weird considering it's for a, basically for a division title. Um, and after watching them go through that game against Dallas and win pretty handily, you know, they were in control of that whole game and they had one of the worst offensive performances in Seahawks history and had more penalty yards than offense. And they still dominated the Cowboys on the road. I can't help but think, like, if they did match up with the Rams again in the playoffs, I, I absolutely know this is not a Super Bowl team. I'm not going to bring that kind of stuff up. But could they beat a team in the playoffs? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, if the 2010 Seahawks could beat the, the Saints in the playoffs, then you know, could this team rise up? Maybe. I, I do wonder if a young Rams team – get a little too full of themselves after that game and and just assume that they could walk over the Seahawks and and maybe that would work out well for Seattle yeah I mean they beat them once um they were healthier then uh but I mean that obviously the last game that they played in Seattle was not representative of how these teams match up um you know they're not gonna win 44 to four or six or whatever the hell it was uh 44 to three or six or whatever uh but you know uh you just gotta get into the playoffs anything can happen um 
you know, you never wish on injuries on a team or anything, but Goff could get hurt, Gurley could get hurt. Stuff happens. Um, I don't think they're going to beat the Rams in L.A. a second time, but they did it once, and you never know. So at this point, it's just about getting in. Jeff Simmons, welcome to the show, dude. Sorry I'm late. I, I had Uber issues. Uber issues are serious issues. you got to deal with those. Um, uh, I'm going to go try to see if I can find some lights for this uh, this balcony while you tell us what you think of uh, the Dallas game, what you expected going in, and what you were thinking as you watched it. You still there, Jeff? Do we lose Jeff? We got a weird frozen Jeff <laughs> again. Oh, there he is. You, just, you see me now? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Jeff. Uh, I had very low expectations going into that game. Maybe the Rams game broke me from the week before, but I thought the return of Ezekiel Elliott with that offensive line, I thought that Seahawks, it looked like a fighter that was just out of gas the week before. And maybe I didn't realize how important KJ Ray was or how important a healthier Bobby Wagner was, but I had really low expectations. I thought Dallas with that offensive line would just run all over those guys. And I was surprised how much heart Seattle played with and, they were able to pull that out with pretty much nothing from their offense. Huh? That was a vintage Seahawks win based on what happened the week before in L.A. Oh, in Seattle all against the Rams. And I didn't see that happening. I thought that Dallas would have, have their way with them on the ground. And Seattle did a really good Aaron Smith being out. Played a big factor. Jeff, are you breaking up on us here? Jeff, somehow I've managed to get a better internet connection in, uh, in Hawaii than, than uh, you have it, wherever you are in Canada. So uh, you might want to check your internet. Uh, okay, let me try again. Do there, and, and we'll come back to you. So, Nathan, um, before we start talking uh, in more detail about the upcoming game against the Cardinals, what it means, what we think about, what's going on, I do want to talk a little bit about the – the run game, pass game kind of conversation we've had at various times over the past few weeks. Um, without getting people into all the detail, I, I, think, I think it's a fascinating topic and um, something that's really at the heart of, of what, you, you know, what people should think about the Seahawks team going forward. And different people have different ideas of what the cure is. And I'll paraphrase, and I want you to jump in here and help me with this, but um, you know, you and Ben um, have spent a fair amount of time talking about, uh, and others, uh, the higher correlation between passing efficiency and winning, um, and that running is less important. Um, you know, running the ball is less important to an offense um, to, to winning. Um, ben has gone as far as to say, you know, uh, the running back doesn't matter. Running backs don't matter. And, and I you know you, you kind of distance yourself a little bit from that. But, you know, I look at the Seahawks team and I see a team that has deviated from the formula that was really effective for them in 2012, 2013, 2014, and even 2015 to some extent, um, where they were very balanced in, in run and pass. And, uh, I'm kind of curious, like, that's where I think that they should be trying to get back to. You and I have gone back and forth, you know, um, uh, on this topic. Could you explain a little bit for folks that don't understand all the, 
scientific da data about what leads you to feel like actually the Seahawks should be passing more than the yeah. you know 55% or 57% or whatever it is at this point in the year. Yeah, so going way back to where this started, Ben's always been on this train. Um, I've uh, there's there's a really old um, I think it's the old PFR blog where they where they talked about this where you know passing success has something like it's like eighty percent of what makes a, a passing efficiency is like eighty percent of what makes up um, uh, whether a team wins or not. It, it, passing is passing efficiency is just um, vastly the more important as the most important aspect of the game um and we can talk about this more a little bit later too if we want to get into it but you know something to consider there is passing efficiency takes into course uh, into uh consideration of course uh how well you pass um but also you know uh the opponent's passing defense so defense is very much a component of this but you know it's usually just talked about as passing efficiency um but anyway so uh Ben's always been about that. And one of the things that he uh, was following for a while early in the season, and I don't know where it's at now, but the Seahawks, uh, it was something like the last 20 games for the Seahawks, the team with the better QBR had won. And there was a tie in there, so it kind of was a little different. But um, so it, it was interesting that, you know, basically, you know, he, his point was backed up that every time, that in every game the Seahawks played, the team that passed better won the game pretty much. Uh, and so we were talking about it and um, the the whole 80% of a win, you know, passing efficiency makes up 80% of a win or whatever. Um, uh, I made the point that uh, running is 20%. You can't just throw that away. But also that uh, this ignores whatever effect that running has on the passing game. So even if you just accept that passing is the most important thing, running helps a passing game, right? And so... Uh, this spawned a whole lot of conversation between me and Ben and me and you and a whole bunch of different people. Um, and uh, what it looks like is when you look at all the numbers, um, teams don't pass better when they run more or when they run more effectively, whether you me measure effectiveness by yards per carry or EPA or win percentage added um, or any way that you can really look at it. Um, when you kind of look at it on a game-by-game -game uh, basis, there's no correlation between running and pass success. And there's also no uh, uh, correlation between running and how well your defense defends the pass, um, which is another, another common thing that running helps your defense. It doesn't really look like that's true at all. So if running is only a, a sliver of the pie that makes up a win, and running doesn't help passing, which is really the most important thing, then running kind of doesn't matter. Um, and teams should run uh, much less than they do. The idea of balance doesn't really bear out. That That's somehow a, a better way to go. Um, on top of everything else, Ben's done some work and he's looked and he's seen that teams that pass more, or, or the more a quarterback passes, um, it doesn't really affect his efficiency. Uh, a quarterback that throws 350 times is as, uh, is as effective when he throws 400 or 450 or 500 or however much, right? We, we You don't really see a decline there. So, um, uh, lots of trains out a little bit, but um, basically, uh, run less. It, it doesn't help you win. Run in situations where running makes sense. Short yardage is one, um, and, you know, controlling the clock, bleeding out the clock um, at the end of a game. Those are the times that you should run. And, and it all comes down to what's important is getting the most yards, getting more yards helps you get more points, getting more points helps you win. Um, so that was a little rambly. That's a lot of background. I don't know if you have anything to follow up on because I think 
from my perspective, everything, all the numbers, it's all out there. You can go to Hawk Blogger, you can see the stuff I've written. Um, you can check out Ben's Twitter, he tweets about it a bunch. There's just not much that shows that running really helps you pass or win. Yeah, so Jeff, um, throwing it back to you, um, and hopefully we'll, we'll test your internet here and hopefully that works. But you know, part of this comes down to some simple facts of, um, you know, people should know, you know, some basic stats around yards per attempt for a quarterback, right? Um, you know, even the bad quarterbacks, the yards per attempt are going to be in the six-yard range. Like, that's, that's not good, but there's going to be somewhere around six yards. The very best running backs in the league, their yards per carry – or maybe five. Like, if you can get five yards of carry, that's it. That's huge. Um, is at six yards of carry, and it's, like, the craziest thing. <laughs> right, right. Like, yeah. So that, that that's, you know, it's a very simplistic, but there's a lot more data behind it. But knowing that, in general, you are going to gain more yards through a pass than through a run. We've seen Bill Walsh, you know, back in the 80s, kind of revolutionize football and trying to replace runs with short, more reliable passes. Um What's your instinct, you know, because I know you've been involved in this conversation as well. Is your instinct that the Seahawks should be passing more often right now and that'd be more effective if they did that? Or that they need to figure out, like, not just right now, but for the future, for, for next year when they're planning, that they need to be planning for a way to be a, a more effective run team and get back to a little bit more balance? I think the big thing is, with what Nathan said, I think I, it's hard to disagree with any anything what he said, but... I'm more old school. I, I'm not as big into the numbers as maybe Nathan is, or definitely what Ben is. I, I'm a believer in what I see on film. I'm more of an eye test guy, and maybe I'm too old and need to be more progressive. But for me, I think you need to play to your personnel. I think New Orleans is a great example of a team that has been they've been the best passing team for a long, long time, right? And what are they? Seven to nine team every year, last five years. That's probably the number one pass offense. They're still a very good pass offense. But the thing that made New Orleans better is that they became a balanced attack. I don't know if that's going to work for Seattle because right now we've seen it for, what, two years? They can't run block. And right now they don't have a run-blocking offensive line. They don't have the personnel to be a running team. And maybe in theory running would be a better way to play. But if you have this personnel, you have Russell Wilson, I don't know if running more is the best way to win because I don't think they have the personnel to play that way. And I think you've got to play to your strengths and maybe that's more dump offs to McKissick to make up for a run game or Mike Davis has been pretty decent in space. I don't know what the numbers say on him, but to me, he looks like a guy who's been playing space. So I think you've got to play to your strengths and going forward, you got to figure out what your strengths are. But right now, the way they need to play, I don't think running more is the way to get them more success. The problem with using New Orleans as an example of, running more and they are running more this year they've got kamara again who's running like crazy um but they also went from 30th and pass defense by dvoa to fifth for sure i mean that's a huge a huge swing and drew Brees, uh i don't know if he's passing less um we could probably look at that up but he's he's still as good as he ever was it's not like drew Brees is declining it's not like he's not as good or not as important to that team he's having as good a year as he's ever really had it's not his best year ever um but his you know if you look at his nea which is uh, it's yards per attempt factoring in touchdowns and picks uh is 7.71 his career average is 6.95 like he's having a great year how do you look at something like the Seahawks offenses in the 
know, 2012 to 2015, where they were, you know, last in the NFL in pass attempts most of the time. They were, they were 55% run, um, 54%. They got down to 51%. But those were years where their, their offense was, you know, top five DVOA, um, you know, which for people that don't follow football outsiders is, is kind of a, a measure of overall football efficiency, team efficiency, um, or it's a measure of, of efficiency uh, above the average um, for, for teams. And they do a bunch of different um, calculations against the, the teams that they're doing it against and a bunch of other factors to help kind of make it a, an even determination. But for those years where the Seahawks were really the DVOA darlings, they were the number one DVO team for like at least four years, I think, in a row. And the offense was part of that. It was a top five offense and it was heavily run oriented. How, how do you explain that? Why does, why does that work? It, this is, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff here, uh, but probably the biggest part of that, and this is, I mean, uh, I don't want to go back to cable, but it's something that cable has benefited from basically his entire career um, is quarterback rushing as a part of that, those rushing numbers. And so, you know, uh, Russ has obviously run for a ton of yards, right? Um, he runs was running for about 100. He was running about 100 times a year there for a while um, until last year. He's probably going to run for about 100 this year again. And he's running for 500 yards, uh, you know, 800 in 2014, averaged 7.2 yards per carry in 2014. So, yeah, they were a very uh, run-heavy team, but they were not a typical run-heavy team. Um, and the other thing I would say is that, you know, a lot of other teams in the NFL are handicapping themselves in the same way, right? Running and balance, this is all very conventional type wisdom, right? And so the, you're benefited from other teams playing the same way, in the same mindset, in the same environment, right? Teams expect you to run because that's what you do. You are supposed to run. Why do you run? Well, you're supposed to run, right? And, and so that kind of environment is something that's you know, too pervasive in the NFL. And, and that's something where the Seahawks can go that approach um, and, and still be successful. Um, and the other thing too is the Seahawks were really, really good those years and really good teams get leads and really good teams run the ball to hold their lead. You know, the Patriots, uh, I think I saw where they run more than they pass this year or something like that. It, they're really close to 50-50. Um, and, you know, Bill Belichick, he's really smart. Why would he run so much if running's not good? Well, Bill Belichick knows that the way you, you seal your win, you bleed out a clock, is you run the ball. And the Patriots have a lot of leads to run out. Back what I was saying before, playing to your strengths, Seattle was a really good run-blocking team in those days with Unger, and Sweezy was a much better run-blocker than he was a pass-pro guy. And Okun was a very good left tackle, and Carpenter can run-block, and Breno was a much better run-blocker than a pass-protector. With Marshawn Lynch at running back, that, those teams were built to run the football. But Seattle in 2017, I don't think there's any evidence there. Yeah, there, there's a couple of things there, Jeff. Like, on one hand, absolutely like you, where it's not about the numbers for me. There's a style of football that I prefer to watch and that I think that I that I enjoy, a te- like the character of a team to have. I think there's a toughness that comes from being able to run the football. I think there's an, for lack of a better term, you know, emasculation from being run on. I mean, just look at that Rams game. Uh, you know, there's nothing that feels you feel more helpless than when your team can't stop the run. Because 
if your team can't stop the run, there's really no reason to pass, right? Like, um, uh, so there is some there is some logic in this that I haven't quite nailed, but but you're breaking up there. I'm just searching for something to uh, to fit my point of view. But so the part of it, I should instinct, and the other part of it is Pete Carroll's formula work when he's got an offense that works the way he wants it to work um, and a defense that works the way he wants it to work. And absolutely his defense is all geared towards, you know, limiting explosive passes and it's about limiting quarterback efficiency. It's a hundred percent built to do what I think Nathan's been talking about, but it's hard for me to imagine a Pete Carroll team really embracing a, 60% pass offense and succeeding in the same way because the types of, of schemes I see them running, they, they seem like completely out of their element running that kind of offense. So, you know, it's your answer to that, Nathan. Hey, well, we need a different coach then. Uh, I don't think you need a different coach. You might need a different offensive coordinator. Um, I mean, if, if Pete can't adapt and, and, uh, then that's a problem. Um, you know, going back to Belichick, Belichick adapts. Belichick, um, you know, builds schemes for his team, right? I mean, we've seen them run a lot of different types of offenses over the years. We've seen, you know, ground and pound, and we've seen, you know, the 2018 that was with Randy Moss, and they're just airing it out. Um, and we've seen, you know, the Welker and Edelman type offenses where they're doing quick stuff and, you know, dinking and dunking down the field. Um, and I think... Um, it's great if that Carroll has a philosophy. Um, it's really great that Carroll's philosophy is centered around, you know, beating the crap out of a quarterback and making his life really hard. It's great that his, um, you know, something that he talked about a lot for a long time and, and you don't hear it as much anymore is he was really big on, you got to make the game easy for the quarterback. You got to make it easy for the quarterback. That's great. Make it easy for the quarterback, right? Um, making it easy for the quarterback isn't running necessarily, but yeah, find ways to make it easy for the quarterback. Um, but his this team is where this team is and it, if he can't you know build to its strengths then he's part of the problem okay so so you say i think what you're saying there if i'm putting those two pieces together is you think the strength of this team is passing mm-hmm. um and that they should build that, that that should be the fulcrum that everything should should revolve around building around Russell really right like they should um, scheme for Russ right now if they want to build something else I probably won't agree with a lot of that like I hope they don't spend a first round pick on a running back that'd be silly right and stuff like that but you know if, if they have a certain type of offense that they want to play I, I don't really mind them building for that but you have to, I guess he's the wrong word not building you have to scheme for your strengths now right you have to scheme for the team you have now um, and they're not doing that at all, right? I mean, they don't. That's, that's fair. That's fair. So, Jeff, I mean, I think what I'm hearing Nathan say, two two different points. And, and Nathan, you can correct me if I'm missing these. But one of them is, hey, uh, right now, forget future. Right now, your strength is Russell Wilson in the passing game. The running game's terrible. Stop trying to run the ball. Just build around Russell. Yeah. It's good to hear your take on that. And then the second point is, I think 
a little bit more uh, – you're not quite coming out with your hot take as much as you, you could, Nathan, but I think what you're saying is, yeah, if it, Russell's the guy, build around pass going forward, and, and Pete either needs to change his philosophy or you get a different coach who is more with it, more with the times. Those are the two points I'm hearing. Yeah. Jeff, what, 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 what are your thoughts on those two points? Well, I think Nathan's kind of agreeing with what I'm saying is I think you got to play to your personnel. And right now the personnel in Seattle isn't a power run, run football. And I think there are ways to emulate the run, whether that's using McKissick in space or using Russell Wilson in unique ways. But right now they're just trying to run that conventional offense and having their guys win one-on-one routes. And I know, I thought, I know Nathan talked about this today on Twitter. If you look at the film from last week, there aren't a lot of guys getting open. So you got to wonder, are they scheming their personnel correctly? And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's a very fair view of this team. And offensively, there's way too much talent for them to be so underwhelming or mediocre against some, someone like Dallas, who's not a very good defense. They're, that's a defense that can be exposed. And they, they were barely productive all game against. But I do wonder, like, is there evidence that Russell Wilson can be better as a more volume passer? And I know there's scheme issues. I know there's coaching issues. I'm big on they're not playing to their strengths but russell needs to be more consistent if you're going to play like that russell has too many first halves that just leave you wanting more i know there aren't guys open on every play but there's just been too many issues where he lacks situational awareness or he's taking a 20 yard sack when you can just throw the ball away i think he needs to be a little more consistent if you're going to play that way but yeah i I don't have an issue with what nathan's saying on this one i I have issues with some of the things ben has said on twitter the last couple weeks i mean him our buddies we go back and forth a lot but I think I'd agree with everything Nathan said. Well, that's no fun. What, what, what did you dislike that Ben said? I, I saw one of them on Twitter. Come on, you said it was stupid. Come on, man. Well, number one, number one, the idea that I don't care what any stat says, the idea that Marshawn Lynch had nothing to do with their success is one of the most ludicrous things I've ever heard. Marshawn Lynch broke more tackles than any other player in football by a large margin. He created yards on his own. If you put any other player in that scheme, there's no way they could have succeeded. And Marshawn Lynch, his run in Seattle is as good as a running back performance that we've seen in this era. So I, I don't know how you can watch these games and come up with that, but if stats are telling you that, stats are lying. There's no way you can make that case. We want to talk about how Marshawn Lynch was on his way out of the league until he got Russell Wilson as a quarterback, though? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that the scheme didn't help, but, man – that guy broke tackles and that has nothing to do with the scheme. This guy is physically creating yards on his own. And the new Orleans saints playoff game, they win that game without Marshawn Lynch. I mean, you know, it's funny though. You go back and watch that game or like, look at the stats. Uh, Hasselbeck was legit. Bombing hey, yeah, yeah. On the Saints. Awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying passing doesn't matter. He was, I, you know, I'll, bombing I'll, it I'll, to Brandon Stokely and Williams. Williams and yeah, yeah. that team that they had that was uh, not good, but I loved him, um, which was like every player from that era. Uh, yeah, yeah. Ideally, ideally, you want to be a very good passing team. If you look at the teams that are good every year, they all have the great quarterbacks. I am, will never argue that that's the most sustainable way to win in this league. And the Seahawks well, have a good idea. That should be there. But I think any idea that Marshawn Lynch, who to me is a potential Hall of Fame back, had nothing to do with their success and was irreplaceable. I mean, it's very replaceable that 2015, where they had probably, what, four good rushing games. I think their numbers are totally inflated. That, to me, is just crazy. Yeah, well, so so I don't want to come across that I'm, I'm anti-pass. I, I, hopefully that's not coming. Yeah, like, me neither. A, a core part of my 
my power rankings formula that, you know, is not the, the end all be all, but it's been pretty helpful for me over the year to, to find teams that other people didn't. New Orleans being one of them um, early on this year. Uh, a core part of it's passer rate rating differential. You know, your pass, your team's passer rating minus the passer rating you allow to opponents. I think that's one of the most important stats in football. Um, and uh, the Seahawks dominated, dominated that stat for a few years um, during their run because Russell's a super efficient passer. He's risk averse. Um, you know, he will not throw into tight spaces most of the time, although <laughs> this is one of the things where I think when you start to turn Russell into a volume passer, I think you start to see different parts of Russell emerge that don't really align to his strengths. I think, I think Russell's at his best when he's, you know, 20 to 27 passes, 20 to 28 passes in a game. Once he starts getting over 30 pass attempts, I, I in general, you know, that might be a game script issue to use a Ben Baldwin and, and, and Nathan Ernst issue like that. The 30 plus pass attempt games are the ones where maybe they're losing. And so he has to pass more. I don't know. I, I don't see him in being that efficient in those situations. But an interesting thing I want to come back to that you said, Nathan, is, hey, Marshawn Lynch was on his way out of the league until Russell came. Russell's big. In- I think that's a key piece here that people fail to acknowledge. Russell's impact on the run game, I think, has been almost more important, at least close to equally important as his impact on the pass game. I mean, he has been a huge factor. If you, if you pull him out, you saw what the, what pulling him out of the run game did last year. Um, and we've seen it even more this year without the running backs being able to do much, but he's been a huge part of that offense. And now I think that you're starting to see where they don't have a reliable way to get run yards with Russell, the way that they did when read option was actually an effective mechanism um, in 2012, 2013, at least. And it puts more focus and more, you know, emphasis on Russell being able to be a volume efficient passer. And I don't know that he's really shown the ability to step into that yet. Like, I think 2015 is the one stretch where we all hold on to her is like he blew it up and he was passing with huge efficiency on third down and in the red zone. We just haven't really seen that with any consistency since then. So, um, you know, I think there's still an open question about whether Russell Wilson, even if you had someone who would scheme around him right now, whether he's the guy to be able to handle a high-volume passing offense with efficiency. Another well, thing I would okay, – go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, the one thing I would also add here, this isn't a great sample size, but you remember the second half of the 2011 season? Seattle beat a really good Baltimore team, and they went toe-to-toe with – San Francisco, both those teams ended up in the championship game. They didn't have Russell Wilson yet. And Marshawn Lynch was the most productive running back in the league in that stretch of games. I think there were seven or eight games. Obviously, that's not a sample. I, I don't, but I don't know. Obviously, Russell wasn't around. Tavares Jackson was playing on with that torn pack, and they beat some good teams. And Marshawn Lynch was really, really good. And that's when they kind of figured out the scheme and the way they want to play. And that's when the offensive line started coming together. So. I think there is some evidence that Marshawn could have been great without Russell, but yeah, I think what Brian said is a lot more interesting there. Um, I mean, talking about Russell being a volume passer, this offense is not designed to be a volume passing offense, right? I mean, they're running the same stuff that they were running when they had Marshawn and they wanted to run it and take, you know, uh, shots downfield and stuff like that. Um, so I, I don't think any quarterback could be 
great in this offense at volume or, you know, uh, not better than Russell has been. Russell's been very good, so I don't want to say he can't be great. But, I mean, that's a limitation, especially when you want to pass more and more. But, you know, he hasn't been bad at times with volume either. You know, he passed 49 times against Tennessee. He threw for 373 yards and, a, and four touchdowns. He passed 39 times against the Giants. He threw for 334 yards and three touchdowns. Um, 41 times against Houston. He tore that game up. You know, 32 times against Arizona, that was a pretty good game for him. And against Philadelphia, he threw 31 times, three touchdowns, you know. Uh, I think that he could be even better in the right scheme. And this, uh, he's he's hampered. And I think that, that that showed up a lot against Dallas. There's a lot of talk about Russell. And I know Pete said he needs to be more consistent. And he, you know, the team passed for 60 yards. I've watched that Dallas game over and over and over and over again. And I am not seeing where Russell was the problem in that game, you know? So um, I, I wouldn't be afraid to put Russell in, you know, a Sean Payton offense or a McVay offense or a Shanahan offense or a Mike Leach offense. You know, I, I, he's going to be fine in any, no matter where he plays. Yeah. I mean, I think, so when I've seen Russell most effective with passing is we've seen the two-minute drills, we've seen end of games when they're down, right? And in some of those situations, I think you're getting a different defense than you normally get. I think there's also a situation there where Russell is more, I think, in command of what he's doing at the line of scrimmage. There's a more limited set of plays that they go through in those situations. And... You see Russell, what other things you see? You see Russell run more um, uh, aggressively, scramble more effective, like aggressively in those situations. He doesn't hold back in that. And I generally see Russell more willing to check the ball down in those situations. Like something I, something I regularly see Russell do is ignore or at least bypass um, swing passes or dump offs to shorter receiver like receivers that are open to running backs that are open for shorter gains looking for the bigger chunk play um i thought time and again against dallas as well where there's guys open a few yards in front of him or wide open to his right and he's looking down the field um and i I think that that i don't know you'll have to show me those plays i don't see those plays are there a few a couple yeah i mean he wasn't perfect but this idea that there were just guys running free underneath is uh, I don't agree. All right. That's one I'll have to spend some time on. Cause I see it. I mean, I see it every single game. I mean, every game he, he does not want to throw a swing pass, um, especially to the, to the running backs on the backfield. That's not something that's a comfortable part of his game. And I'm not saying it's Russell's um, like that. It's him deciding that himself. He very well could be coached, you know, Hey, do not, take what the defense is giving you we want to push the ball downfield we value deep throws and you know i shared with you guys some numbers earlier like the seahawks this season you know seven percent of their of russell's throws have been over 30 yards you know depth of target which is like more than twice what it's been in the past years they're throwing like not just deep but like super deep um you know a lot of them are over 40 yards downfield no matter how good of a quarterback you are those are your those are not the most efficient, um, you know, passes you're going to make. They're, they're not ones that are easy to complete. Nobody completes more than 40% of, you know, a pass that far down the field. So um, 
anyway, I, I just I'm looking for patterns of when Russell has been able to be put in a situation where he's effectively passed in high volume. And I'm just not sure I've seen the repeatable, um, reliable situations when that happens yet. They're not always going to be in two-minute situation, and I hopefully they're not always going to be trailing to where defense is maybe playing a little bit differently than they normally would. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to go back. I feel like Russ passed a lot in those in that second half of 2015, but, you know, he's throwing for – I mean, going back and watching – or looking at the stats from the end of 2015, insane, completely insane. Yeah, um, MVP numbers, no doubt about it. Oh, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, three touchdowns, no picks, five touchdowns, no picks, three touchdowns, no picks, five touchdowns, no picks, three touchdowns, no picks. Like, holy shit. Um, and so you, they ran a lot of the end of games because they were just obliterating teams on that run. Um, it wasn't just the end of games. I'm not going to let you get away with that. I've run the numbers. They ran the ball more often in the first half during the second, during the last eight games of that season than they did in the first eight games of that season. They ran the ball more often. It wasn't a game script issue. Thomas Rawls was really effective at that point. Russell was really effective running the ball that year. Um, so it was not just that they were ahead that caused them to run the ball. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could probably poke and proud of that, but it's probably that's probably true. They were definitely – I mean, Rawls was going off at that point too, for sure. Um, but I, I, I don't know why you couldn't take what he did in those games and, and – That and totally agree. It. Yeah. That, that, I think that's what we all – I mean, Jeff and I have talked about that a million times. I mean, I think it's what, what we'd all want to see. That was the point where I was like, the Pittsburgh game. Russell's game against Pittsburgh was the moment I was like, okay, he's ready. Put the game on his shoulders. This guy can do it all now. Um, he was passing for volume. He was hitting amazing throws. He was converting tough third downs. Like, he won that game. I mean, they were amazing in that game. And, and you know – Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. They're, they're not running that offense right now. You know, I, I'll tweet yeah. it out again because it came out and I, I tweeted one thing last night and one this morning. But uh, I, I put together – Ben always does the clips of just the pass protection. Um, and so I put one together because everyone was talking about rest performance this week. Uh, I put one together for just the the all 22, you know, the uh, downfield camera so you can see all the routes and everything. And you watch the Dallas one and you watch that Baltimore one. And there's I think there's some differences uh, in how – Baltimore played I think Baltimore would maybe be a little bit more man um so how you approach that's a little differently but uh uh it's 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 the same stuff kind of but the mix of it is drastically different that um you know you talk about Russ not being comfortable hitting short passes or hitting running backs or you know Russ is doing all of that in that Baltimore game um he is comfortable with that. And you saw it in the Dallas game too. I mean, one of Russell's favorite routes is when that running back just kind of leaks out right in front of the line and turns around and Russell dumped that off all day long. And he dumped it yep. off two or three times in, in the Dallas game. So it's not a comfort issue. It's, I mean, I would challenge people to go and look and you know, the whole Russell doesn't throw in the middle of the field. Well, he's not quite as much as other NFL quarterbacks, but he does. Um, and I would challenge people to go look and just see how often, you know, oh, Russell doesn't hit his hot routes. Show me the hot routes. This, this offense doesn't have hot routes in it. it, it that's not how they, they play football, which is yeah. insane. But, like, there's a, a lot of things. You know, talking about Carroll adapting his scheme. Um, and I think part of it is they've built this for Russ because Russ, Russ doesn't need a hot route. He can scramble, and you do a scramble drill, and that's your hot route, right? But, like, they need to get back to that, 2015 type offense where it's quicker um, 
and, and he has more options and you're not just literally putting it on him and saying everyone's going to go deep and you figure it out, which is what their offense is a lot right now. Yeah. That is, so Jeff, I want to give you a last word on this and then we're going to move on to talk about a little bit of Earl Thomas and, and some of the stuff that came out there and, and a couple of other things. But, um, you know, look, what I saw in the second half of 2015 when I've watched those games is actually a lot of where the Seahawks had success. And Daryl Bevel, talk about Russell Wilson, Daryl Bevel was calling those games, same guy. And, and was, there were some masterful play shifts that came out of the, um, out of the, the bye week uh, that really they, they went to quick passes. And what I saw was a lot of man, man combination um, schemes that were like rub routes and a lot of stuff. Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin working in conjunction together um, to create these short, reliable passes that Russ could get off. And I still see them trying those, not being as effective. And I, I mean, they still have some success, but my, my read or my assumption, because I haven't broken down all the tape, is that teams have adjusted and that they're going more zone against the Seahawks, perhaps, and that some of those man concepts just don't work and so that they don't know what else to do. That's kind of where I'm seeing things. Anything else you wanted to add um, to this conversation before we, we kind of switch over to, to, to the Earl Thomas discussion? Yeah, and the, big, the biggest thing you noticed when watching that team in 2015, especially the second half, was how decisive, one, Russell was, but two, I think you just nailed it. That was going to be my point. They designed plays that had Russell with an easy look, and that's not that's no knock on Russell. I don't know if the league's adjusted, but when you watch the second half of those 2015 games, within one or two seconds, you can tell exactly where Russell should go, and he would hit it decisively. And just the way he would read the defense and read the routes was – something almost we've never seen before. And now maybe they've adjusted or maybe the offensive line isn't able to protect the way they, that team could in the second half of the year. But it's not often Russell will read a play and hit it. And maybe that's the receiver's not getting open or the scheme's not working. But that was the biggest difference to me in 2015. You've never seen – and Bevel, Bevel was as good as I've ever seen him in that six or eight game stretch where just – the way he used Tyler Lockett, the way he used Baldwin, it was – I don't know if that's the maybe that is the adjustment on zone defense, but that hasn't come back. That didn't come back last year. That hasn't really come back this year. And I, I do stand with Nathan where I think Bevel isn't doing a good enough job to put schemes around to make their take advantage of their personnel. I've been saying that all year. And but yeah, to me the biggest difference from that year to this year is guys were getting open within two seconds, and that was a scheme issue and maybe a coverage issue, but that hasn't come back. Yeah, it's um, where, I, where I'm totally in agreement with you guys is that Daryl Bevel is easier to replace than Russell Wilson. Like, you don't find a lot of Russell Wilsons on trees out there, but there's a million offensive coordinators. There's a lot of new schemes, a lot of new thinking. Daryl Bevel's had a lot of kicks at the can. And whether or not it's his fault or not, like, if people want to blame, you know, the team just hasn't succeeded. And, and the way these things work is, is you've got to move the parts that you can. Personally, I, I mean, I wrote it after the Super Bowl 2014, well, technically 2015. I wasn't sure that an offensive coordinator could ever really recover from, from that game and that play and have the, the guts to really call the game the way it needed to be called after that. I, I think that <laughs> – I know that this is unpopular with a lot of people, but to me that was a fireable offense, you know, and Pete Carroll would never, ever fire his coach. He is so loyal to his coaches to a fault. And for all the things that I think are great about Pete Carroll, I think one of the things I don't 
is he, I think he has a blind spot for coaches. Um, the one time he proved me, uh, me wrong is Jeremy Bates, where Jeremy Bates had one too many fourth and one 30-yard fade routes to, you know, uh, whatever that guy's name was. Um, anyway, but he fired Bates and he brought in Bevel. I do think that they should be looking at a new offensive coordinator. Um, I just I think they've got to figure out something that that would allow them to succeed more. We have seen offenses go from ineffective to effective just by changing the offensive coordinator. We've seen that plenty of times. So uh, I think I agree there. Uh, I want to move on a little bit. Uh, you know, to, to to muckrake or talk about all the the CD stuff, but but it's worth a conversation. I think people are curious. Earl Thomas went into the Cowboys locker room right after the game. He's friends with Des Bryant, and he he also chased down Jason Garrett, the coach, and said, hey, you know, you guys should come get me. And then he stood behind it in the Seahawks locker room and said, you know, yeah, I didn't really mean right now. I meant when the Seahawks kicked me to the curb, you know, they should come get me. People flipped out. Like, a lot of people flipped out. Didn't like this at all. Um, and Richard Sherman came out later. I don't know how much it's related, but, you know, I guess it, I'm guessing it's somewhat related. And, and came out with a tweet that said, hey, for all the fans, you know, hey, we're one win away from another 10-win season. For all the fans that, you know, turned on players and the team, you know, shame on you. So I'm going to start with you, Jeff, since Nathan and I have been going back and forth a lot. What was your reaction to the Earl Thomas story, and, and what did you think of the, the Richard Sherman tweet? I didn't have much of an emotional reaction to the Earl story for a couple of reasons. One, I know Davis Sue tweeted this out this week, and I had heard this. I've heard for a long time that Earl's wanted to play for the Dallas Cowboys, maybe towards the end of his career. He obviously loves it in Seattle, and it's not a response to anything to do with his current situation. I just, similar to Marshawn Lynch in Oakland, he grew up a Cowboys fan. He played football in Texas. He grew up in Texas. I think that's always, and I think what's happening after that Rams game is everyone started to think about the future of the Seahawks. I know we talked about it in our show last week that Earl might not be back next year. Michael Silver wrote about it. It was a talk on sports radio last week in Seattle. I think he made an emotional reaction after the game to start thinking about life after Seattle. And was it the best decision? No, I, I don't think he should have done that. I think he made a mistake, but did I care as a fan? Not really. I think he acted emotionally. He was pumped up about the win and kind of made a pitch for him, but, in terms of the Shermans, we actually agreed with Sherman. I think Seattle fans get a little too excited. And you go on a team where there's people are talking about firing Pete and trading Russell. Man, this team's been really good for ever since Pete's been here, really. And to complain about a 10-win season where you have injuries and half your defense is down. And, yeah, we came to the season with Super Bowl aspirations. But, man, to get 10 wins out of a season like this, I know the Redskins game was a disaster and the Maybe they should have won the Falcons game. I, I kind of agree with Sherm. I think fans should be pretty fortunate that they aren't cheering for a team like the Browns and that they were able, especially after that Dallas game, where they were able to scut out a, probably one of their moral character wins of the season. I kind of resonate with what he said. Where, where were you on this, Nathan? I freaked out because I don't want to imagine a Seahawks team without Earl Thomas. Like, uh, he's still. Uh, unreal as a player um he's still like the most important player on that defense um he's yeah he's just he's everything to this team um and so the idea that he is 
you know, he's shopping himself or the Seahawks might be shopping him. Um, I, 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 that shouldn't sit well with any Seahawks fan, I don't think, just from a he's awesome and you don't want to lose awesome players. Um, from any other perspective, I didn't really care. It's a business. Um, the Seahawks are possibly shopping him. They would have no qualms about calling up, you know, Jerry Jones or Jason Garrett or whoever the hell their, their GM is um, and saying, what would you give us for Earl or however those conversations go? Um, so that didn't bug me at all. Um, it's his hometown or what, you know, it's his, his childhood team or whatever. So um, yeah, I, if he doesn't play in Seattle, I hope he goes somewhere he wants to be. And if that's Dallas, then great for him. Although not really because it's the NFC, but great for him. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on the Sherm tweet? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's what fans do. I mean, we're we're help, powerless. We're helpless. We don't control anything. Um, and so, can we get nitpicky? Nitpicky? Can we get um, ungrateful? Sure. But you know, honestly, Sherm should probably listen less to the fans. I mean, we're idiots for the most part. So, <laughs> um, but there are problems with this team. Like. I, I, I can't imagine, you know, criticizing fans that are upset, like, about this running game. And, you know, Sherm himself has come out and criticized decisions by this offense. So, um, I don't oh. know if that sits well with me. Sherm can say what he wants. I, I don't think I really agree with it. Let me let me put a more pointed example. And I'm not, sh- I'm not sure that this is what Sherman was referring to. But let's assume this happened. Let's put a chain of events together that Earl Thomas, who's a friend of Sherman's, you know, close friend, put something out in the media that a lot of fans did not like, you know, felt betrayed. We're like saying a lot of stuff to Earl about Earl. Um, you know, there's a pretty negative sophisticated, uh, <laughs> um, tactful discussion as we've had so far on the topic. Um, in that case, when someone's being attacked personally and he's a friend of yours, I mean, would you, in that situation, understand why someone might come out and say, hey, if you're turning on a player, screw you? Yeah, I mean, from that perspective, totally. Yeah, Earl's given, I mean, all these guys that suit up for the Seahawks, right? I mean, they give their bodies, right, uh, uh, for, for our entertainment. Um, so from that perspective, for sure, I, I get it. I still think Sherman should probably listen, let, Sherman should listen less to the fans and maybe not sweat it so much, but, you know, fans should try to be less of an idiot most of the time. And <laughs> some people can be really awful. So, Yeah, we all can. And, and, and it's, it's interesting. I, like when I heard the, the Earl thing came out, like seconds almost felt like after the game and, and Dallas reporters were tweeting about it. I just kind of was like, whatever. I said it to my son and my son's like, what? You know, like he wants to leave. And, and I'm like, whatever. I mean, he owns an Earl Thomas jersey. You know, he's his favorite player. And, I love Earl. I mean, he's, he's, he is, this is a debate, but he's arguably the best player of this generation of the Seahawks. I mean, uh, the best player at his position for this period of time um, across the NFL. Russell, as much as you can love him, has not been the best quarterback, you know, in the NFL during this period of time. He just hasn't been. So um, Earl Thomas is a Hall of Fame player. Um, as far as I'm concerned, I don't think that's a debate. He's absolutely going to be a Hall of Fame player. And he'll be a Ring of Honor player. And I love the way he plays. I mean, you know, the way the way he practices. I love everything about Earl Tom. I love the fact that he's weird as hell. Um, but uh, you know, the fact that 
he's what is he 29 28 something like that now he's in the la- going into the last year of his deal uh he's from texas he just got married um he doesn't know camp chancellor i don't think is ever going to play again he's one of his best friends sherman may or may not play for this team again um you know this team might be revamping the secondary and the defense overall it might take a year or two for them to get back to being productive is Earl the kind of guy I see as a mentor? No. <laughs> I don't think Earl Thomas wants to – either you're at his level or he does not want to deal with you. That's who I think Earl Thomas is. So I think all those things combined, it's not at all hard for me to imagine him like, dude, yeah, it's time. Send me over to Dallas. That's where I'd like to go. I don't care. I mean, like, I don't, it doesn't bother me at all that he feels that way and I understand it. From a Seahawks standpoint, I'm John Schneider. I'm like, okay, great. If Dallas wants to give me – Let's do the Joey Galloway trade. You want to give me two first-round picks in the same year? Then maybe we're talking. You know, you want to give me three first-round picks? Then maybe we're talking. I mean, I don't think there's anything there. I don't feel at all betrayed by it. The Sherman stuff, you know, yeah, I agree with you, Nathan. I think Sherman doesn't always help himself when he gets engaged in those debates. Um, but, look, you know, I think people are very fortunate that they don't have the mentions on Twitter that these players do. I mean, you go in there and look at what people, the, it's not just, Hey, we need a better running game or our team sucks. I mean, it is like vicious. Like it's the type of stuff where people like stuff that people say. It's It's so bad. Yeah. So I, I get where he's coming from. Um, I don't think that his tweet helps matters that's not going to stop those those fans from doing what they do but friends cutting out again am i still here okay go for it yep yeah anyway so enough on enough on the 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 nastiness in the last few minutes here let's uh let's let's take a a round rob and talk about red face bruce arian the old sheriff (laughs) and and it looks like it's gonna be his last game uh, you know, I never hated him that much, but but I, I, good riddance to him. I'm, I'm not going to miss him. Um, the Cardinals have a habit of beating the Seahawks in Seattle. They even did it in 2013, right? No. On the, the Super Bowl game. Um, what do you think about Bruce Arians? Um, how, how do you think this plays out this final week of the season? Jeff, why don't you start? I, I've said on the show, I, I can't stand Bruce Arians. I think he's a good football coach, but every time he talks, I want to slam my head against the wall. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's the whining. or he, There was one year, I think it was the 2015 year, where like he benched all his guys in the second half after the Seahawks completely kicked their ass in Arizona and he said, oh, he, he planned to bench him the whole time. And they had that, like, HBO series on them. And the exact opposite happened. He was, like, freaking out at halftime. His face was all red. Because he, he's been caught in so many lies. And every time he talks, he's just so egotistical. And that comment last week where they own Seattle, that's their home stadium, I don't know. It just brought back bad memories for me. So I'd love to see Seattle kick their ass. I mean, they need to win this game. And this is – I know they've won three of the last four games in Seattle, so he may have a point there. But – this is by far the worst Arizona team he's had. They have no running back. They're on their backup quarterback. Both their tackles are out. If they can't win this game, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. But, man, I would love to see them beat the crap out of 
Bruce and Yeah. And there's, uh, go ahead. I don't know. I just there's something about him. I know Mike Soft is the same. There's something about him that bothers me. What he's got he's getting all this hype. He's won one playoff game in Arizona. I, I something about him. I, I can't stand him. Yeah, and, and Nathan, uh, uh, Jeff was was ripping on on uh, Arians and the Cardinals. He's like, they got no running game, which I know you know matters. Um, but I will point out Kerwin Williams, who's their their third string essentially running back at this point. They've had they've had David Johnson, they had Chris Johnson, they have Kerwin Williams, they had Andre Ellington, Adrian uh, Peterson, Adrian Peterson, and all of that. Kerwin Williams still has more rushing yards than any Seahawks running back by 150 yards. I mean, that's crazy. He's got like 350 yards. He averages like three and a half yards a carry. He's a horrible running back. Horrible. And he would well, dominate it's almost like the Seahawks. Running backs don't matter, huh? <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know how those flyers those connect at all. But, but anyway. So, so, you know, what, what do you see, you know, what do you see happening in this game? And, you know, Jeff Jeff made the comment, if they can't win this game, they don't deserve to be in the playoffs. I don't think the Seahawks deserve to be in the playoffs either way. I'll just put my hand up and say that. I don't think they're a playoff team. I would be happy if they got there, but I don't think they're good enough um, to be a playoff team. What's what's your take on, on this game and, and the Seahawks in the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, this has – I don't know. I'm still scarred from last year's game uh, against the Cardinals, and so I'm – pretty nervous about this one but at the same time I, I agree like this is not a team that like deserves being a playoffs this is not a team when we talked about this earlier i don't think they're going to do anything if they get there um it honestly might just save them some embarrassment of losing in la to the rams um uh so uh, i don't know i would love to send arians out on an l though i, I most of the time i don't really I, I, he's done some stuff i mean i know he's won coach of the year twice and whatever uh but like jeff was saying he's won one playoff game they had one year where they were like really good good for you in in the when people look back and talk about this era of the nfc west bruce arians is not even a footnote i mean it's harbaugh and it's pete and it's russ and it's kaepernick and it's whatever this rams team becomes and like there oh yeah there was that year where uh the cardinals were good that was weird so uh, I don't, I mean, yeah, they came up here and they, they beat Seattle. So he's got some room to talk, but like this whole thing about how Seattle, it's their home turf or whatever. Like, dude, just you're in the process of quitting. Just like chill out and <laughs> come up here, do your thing, whatever. Leave because you're kind of a dick and your players probably hate you. Uh, and, and let's just be done with it. Yeah, I, I like that. I like that. I mean, I think, um, He's certainly run that team in a way that when he leaves, he will he will not be able to pull the Jeff Fisher comment and say that he he set them up for this uh, success that came after. I mean, Carson Palmer probably is retiring. Stanton's a piece of crap. You know, Blaine Gabbard's a piece of crap. The offensive line's in shambles. The running back situation, you got David Johnson. You know, that's, that's big. Um, Larry Fitzgerald's, you know, if it's not his last year, it's a second to last year, probably. Uh, the defense has got a couple of new young players, but the Cardinals look like a team that, that are going to be fourth place in the NFC West for a while um, after this season. And so, yeah, I mean, as I said before, I, the only thing that I'm kind of motivated about seeing the Seahawks in the playoffs is 
I have this hunch that if they got to play the Rams, that they'd actually beat the Rams in LA. And that would be, that'd be pretty sweet. That would, that would be like, all right, this has been, this has been an acceptable year. If that happens, um, I don't see the Seahawks actually being able to beat the saints. Um, I think it's too good of an offense. Um, although I would be tempted to go to new Orleans to watch that game, just to go to new Orleans. Um, and the Eagles, maybe, I mean, maybe Nick Foles, you know, doesn't scare, doesn't scare me. Um, you see them play Monday night? Oh yeah. He was horrible. He's that horrible. team, that team has no chance. Uh, and Minnesota. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think the Seahawks can beat Minnesota in Minnesota, even though Case Keenum's Case Keenum. But uh, so anyway, I, I do think there's a lot of limits to what the Seahawks team can be. But um, yeah, don't lose, don't lose four out of five your final five games at home this year. I mean, don't do that. Um, that's crazy and, to think about, right? Like yeah. that's that's just crazy. And with the advantage this team should have with the crowd noise and with John Wetzel and John, what's his name? I, some other guy on the other side of this line. It's a total no name. I wrote about him in my column this morning. They've got two tackles that nobody's ever heard of. Um, Frank Clark should absolutely get his 10th sack at least, if not, you know, get a three sack game um, this week. So Michael Bennett should be eaten as well. So I think there's a lot of reasons to hope that the Seahawks can, and perform well. Um, if, you didn't, if people didn't realize, not only are the Cardinals missing um, uh, Tyvon Branch, who was the, the best safety, but they just lost Antoine Bethea this past week, who is their other great safety. Um, you know, Buda Baker's now playing, who's good, but they've got Tyron Matthew, who is their nickel corner, who's now having to play back at safety, which means that maybe Justin Bethel has to play nickel corner against Doug Baldwin. Like, they're a mess. Um, and it would just be great. I, I think that we're going to see a Bruce Arians come out and pull out all the stops. We're going to see onside kicks and fake punts and all sorts of bull. And, and I just hope that Brian Schneider, the special teams coach, doesn't get owned again by another special teams guy doing something crazy. Be prepared. It's so obvious that Arians in his last game is going to do all sorts of crazy crap. Be prepared. I kind of wish Arians would bring in Fisher as like a, a special consultant for the week. And just Why? Like, he was effective. Like, then, then we lose. <laughs> then we lose. Well, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. There's something like, you know, the, the, what are those like evil villain gangs or whatever. Put Arians and Fisher on a, yeah. That, there was a great tweet and I can't remember who, who said it, but I retweeted it. That said, they, they, they read the quote, so Jeff Fisher's quote about the fact that he set the, the Rams up for success or that he left them in a position to be this successful. And he said, first it said, I read that quote seven to nine times. I was like, perfect. Such a perfect Fraley, troll. John Fraley said he gave them about seven to nine percent of the credit for the current Rams team, which was also very good. Yeah, it was good stuff. Good stuff. All right, fellas. Well, I'm going to run and, and enjoy my last few hours here before uh, I got to head back to, to Seattle. But um, thank you. And whatever happens, let's uh, get, get together next week and talk about uh, what's next for the Seahawks. I've got one request before we go. Yeah. When you, when you go to publish this, can you go back and find when I made the prediction that Jimmy Graham was going to catch 10 touchdowns and, like, edit that in, like, right here, where we can just, you know, see that, like, 
You looked all the way back there, like week five, I think it was. You had like one touchdown, two touchdowns at the time. And here we are, week, good, six, or week 17. Ten touchdowns. That's good. I, I think that that is legit. That's a legit prediction. And um, yeah, came up a little short of what I told my son he would get. I, I, I thought he might have a 15 touchdown season, but that was in preseason. Um, I came off that number pretty quickly after the first two weeks. <laughs> So you you uh you get the you get the gold star. Nice job there. Thank you. Uh, hey, so they can everyone. Uh, let's let everyone know where they can follow you guys on Twitter. So uh, Jeff, you're you're at real Jeff Simmons. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, Nathan, you're at Nathan E eleven. Follow us on Twitter, Nathan E eleven, and uh, uh, subscribe. Uh, you'll get notified as we do this throughout the season um, and the off season, whenever that, that may come. And uh, thanks to everybody for watching. Take care. Go Hawks. Go Hawks. See you next week. Want more great Seahawks talk? Of course you do. Check out the Pedestrian Podcast. It's the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. Hosted by Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell. It's fun. It's British. You get accents. You get Seahawks. You get football. It's definitely worth it. They're at pedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or you can find them on iTunes. Check them out.